You are listening to the Passion City Church podcast. To learn more about Passion City Church, including our gathering times in Atlanta and Washington, D.C., visit us online at passioncitychurch.com. Today's talk comes from Grant Partrick. Well, in 2018, uh, my wife and I were getting ready to have our first child, a little baby girl. I say that... um, Maybe I should say it more delicately. My wife was getting ready to have our first child. I was there supporting, coaching, doing whatever I could do, but kind of helpless in the moment. And we had such expectation. We had um, gotten the nursery ready at home. We had done all the things, and we had done all the doctor's appointments. And a few weeks before our first daughter was to be born, uh, Maggie went to a, uh, just a normal checkup appointment, and, and the baby was measuring small. And the doctor said, hey, I actually want you guys, I think you should just pack up right now and go ahead and go to the hospital. And so that's uh, not the news you want. You're kind of like, that doesn't seem normal. So I'm at work. Uh, We go meet up. We pack our bags. We go to the hospital and we're there. And then we begin to wait. (laughs) And they hook Maggie up to all these things and we're waiting 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 and we're waiting. We were at Northside Hospital. So uh, many men are still suffering from the back complications of the bench that they give us at Northside Hospital. I kind of make my home on that bench as comfortable as possible. It's designed for people who are five foot five or smaller. So it didn't, uh, wasn't very uh, convenient for me, but hey, it wasn't about me. I wasn't the one about to have a baby. So we're there and the first day goes by, nothing happens. We're just waiting. (laughs) The second day goes by, nothing happens. We're just waiting. And on the second night, they've got these things hooked up around Maggie that's keeping the baby's heart rate. And all of a sudden a nurse comes in and she comes over to check them and check them. And she says, hey, I was sitting at my station out there and I just realized that we missed the heartbeat for a minute. So just want to correct these things, make sure they're okay. And we're like, you know, in that moment, we're like, okay, is everything okay? You know? And so she leaves, everything's fine. Well, the next day we're just sitting in there uh, talking about how excited we are to meet this little girl. And all of a sudden the door opens to our hospital room. And it's not one nurse coming in, it's five. And then there's seven. And then there's 10. And they're not coming in going, how's your morning going? They're coming in with a mission and they come into our room and I'm not kidding you, I'm standing by the hospital bed just having a normal conversation. And all of a sudden they come bustling through the door. They push me back. These women, these five foot three women are strong. And I get pushed back. And all of a sudden all these people are crowded around the hospital bed and I'm going what's happening nobody's telling us anything and all we know is they're trying to find the baby's heart rate again and all of a sudden there's one doctor who's standing by the door and her job is to kind of find other doctors out there hey is there a doctor we need a doctor in here and I'm just standing kind of pressed up against the wall and going I I, in this moment I don't know how to help I don't know what to do. I don't know how to help. None of my education has trained me for this. I don't have any skill for this. I'm just pushed back against the wall watching my wife and 15 people around her and hearing another lady over in the doorway going, we need a doctor in here. And I remember that moment so vividly and thinking to myself, there is nothing in this moment that I can do to help. There's nothing that I can contribute. I mean, yes, I was there and I was praying and I was going, God, there's nothing I can do. We need you to come through. We need you to do something. We need you to help these doctors. God, help, help this baby. God, help us to be healthy as they're rolling her around and trying to find the heartbeat. 
And it probably was a minute, but it felt like about 15 hours. I stood there with my back pressed up against the wall watching this take place. And I just remembered there's nothing I can do. I need you to come through. There's nothing I can do. None of my creativity, none of my work ethic, none of the things that I've kind of hung my hat on for my entire life can contribute anything into this moment. Have you ever had a moment like that in your life where, where you knew all of kind of the pride got stripped away and you had to just be honest with yourself and go, there, there is nothing I can contribute to this situation. There's nothing that I can do. I'm, I feel helpless here. I, 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 I feel like there's nothing I can contribute. Maybe you felt that way in your marriage before. And you've thought to yourself, I, I've kind of made every contribution I can make and I'm trying my best and I'm doing everything, but it just seems like there's nothing else I can do to repair things. Maybe you felt it in a relationship with a son or a daughter. Maybe you felt it honestly in your finances and you've thought to yourself, I have done everything that I know how to do to try to work out this problem and I can't seem to do anything to fix it. And if that's you, I want you to know that today, I believe God's word is going to speak to us. Because over the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at breakthrough miracle power. Now, in a matter of moments, to not leave anybody hanging, in a matter of moments, like literally in a matter of moments, my wife is wheeled out into the operating room, and they are able to get our little baby uh, out, and I get to hold her, and she's perfectly healthy, and we named her Mercy, which is beautiful. And I just remember feeling in that moment, holding her, knowing before the moment we were going to name her Mercy, but in the moment going, what a gift to receive your mercy, knowing that I could do nothing in the moment to help. And so I want you to think about that space. What do you do when it feels like you can't do anything? Now I want us to open, uh, if you have your copy of scripture, to Mark's gospel chapter 10. And we're going to look at a man who knew what it was like to be in that place. That place of desperation. That place of, I'm, I'm very willing to admit that all of my might and intellect and talent and skill can't get me out of where I am. And we're going to spend our entire morning this morning in seven verses found in Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 46. <laughs> I'll read them for us. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd, were leaving the city. A blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called to the blind man, Cheer up on your feet. He, Jesus, is calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. And Jesus asks, 
what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, Jesus said, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Amen. Does that still amaze you? I hope that we haven't read the Bible long enough to not, to not read these things and go, whoa, that's incredible, the power of God on display, the power of Jesus on display here. And so just before we begin, I want to put a precursor on where we're going today. I'm not going to give you a breakthrough, a, a formula for your breakthrough. So this isn't going to be today a three-step plan for you to get breakthrough in your life. Why? Because I don't believe Jesus works like that. I studied all leading up to this message, all the 35 plus miracles of Jesus, and I'm going, man, what were the common threads in these? What do I see in all of them? What was constantly at display in all of them? And what I realize is God does what God wants to do because God is God. He gets to decide who he heals. He gets to decide what request he says yes to. He gets to decide what request he says no to. And so I want to just from the get-go tell you, I'm not going to give you a formula today for your breakthrough. Because Jesus isn't a process to be memorized. He is a person to be known. And so we got to get that right. So what is the goal today? The goal today is to look at this story and to pull it apart and put it back together and try to look at it from every angle and go, what from this story can we learn that will position ourselves and fertilize the ground that we're standing on so that we might make ourselves in a good position to receive breakthrough from God? That's what we're going to look at in this Story. Now, just before we get into three big points today, I want you to see something that I find fascinating about this text. It says in the first couple of verses that when he heard, so you got this blind man, right? He's on the side of the road. All he has with him is his cloak and he would probably be sitting on it or it would have pockets and that's what he's, you know, begging from people and stuffing his pockets with these things. And there's no telling how long this man's been on the road. Uh, being on the road, no doubt, was a strategic location between Jericho and Jerusalem. And he would have been there because people would have been going to the temple and maybe I can get something from someone. This is a good strategic location here. But listen to what it says. It says, when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, how did he know that? He heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, so no doubt that could have easily been, hey, he's coming, Jesus of Nazareth. But then you see this other qualifier, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And I love it because you get in this text the power of of the human mind and heart gravitating towards stories, right? This man had heard the stories of who Jesus was and how powerful he was. So what's our role in community? What's your role as a parent? What's our role as a body of believers is to say things to each other that make each other believe in God. So if you're a parent, tell your kids the stories of Jesus coming through in your life. Why? Because there's going to be a moment where they're going to intersect Jesus. And what you want them to have in the back of their mind in that moment is, Jesus, son of David, I've heard about you. 
I've heard the stories about you. I know what you can do. I know your power. So in your connect groups, in your family groups, in our church community, let's commit to being people who tell people the ways that God's coming through for us. Why? So that we can keep each other believing in the things of God. So that we can fan the flame of faith into a wildfire in our city. We say them in our uh, team meetings and on our staff team, Pastor Louis calls them Jesus stories. And we never have a team meeting where we don't share Jesus stories. Why? Because there's something powerful when you hear about Jesus coming through for them. It makes you believe, man, if you came through for them, maybe you could come through for me. So let's be people who are committed to doing that. Now, three big takeaways. If you're taking notes, write this first one down. How do we fertilize the soil? How do we position ourselves? so that we can be on right ground for a breakthrough. Number one, we must have a humble awareness of our need. A humble awareness of our need. You have to come to a place where you realize there is no other way unless it's you, Jesus. So if you are working, now I, I like to do this, by the way, just a uh, confession. Anytime Valentine's Day rolls around, if you're a restaurant owner, I'll just apologize in advance. I make about 19 reservations. I've got, I make email addresses up so that I can open up more open table accounts so that I can have more reservations. And then I just, I like to keep my options open. Well, maybe I'll go to this one. Unless I hear something great about this one, then we'll go over here. I like to keep my options open, right? I think it, for the most part, we're like that. But that can become very dangerous when you're talking about God. If God is one of your options, he's most likely going to allow you to continue to try all the other ones first. You have to get to a point where you realize in humility, you are the only way. You are my only option. With my back pressed up against that wall, there was no pride in me going, man, let me in there. Let me do that thing. Let me figure that out. No, there was complete and utter humility that goes, I have nothing, no other way but you, Jesus. And when you look at all the miracles of Jesus, one of the common threads you see that moves the heart of God is this admittance, this humble awareness of our need for Jesus to come through. You see, I think that it's true that our posture is more important than our position. Our posture is more important than our position. You say, what do you mean by that? I mean, you can positionally be around Jesus all day long, but if your posture is prideful and not humble, then it's likely you're not gonna see the breakthrough that you want in your life. Right? Jesus says that all throughout his earthly ministry, there's the religious leaders, the people who had proximity and who had position, but they always missed out on the power of Jesus right in their midst. And what does Jesus say? He says in Mark chapter 2, just earlier in this gospel, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And then he says, listen to this, listen to the irony of this. He says to a group of people, who think that they're righteous. He says, I have not come to call the righteous, but to call sinners. So he's saying to them, hey, if you don't think you have a need for me, I didn't come to call you. I came to call sinners. How powerful is that? So we have to come to a place where we are aware of our need for Jesus humbly, 
So, so we have expectation Jesus could change something, but we also have a desperate plea of knowing he's our only option to do that. Number two, first one, a humble awareness of our need. Second one, an acknowledgement of his power. An acknowledgement of his power. So we see the first one, a humble awareness of our need. He's down on his, he's begging, Jesus, have mercy on me. I want to see, very desperate. Okay, we see that. Then we, we go, okay, where's the acknowledgement of his power? Well, he says, he begins to shout, shout, Jesus, son of David, messianic title here. Different category here. Jesus of Nazareth, there no doubt would have been a lot of men named Jesus in the day, very common, very popular name. So he says, Jesus of Nazareth, but then even more than that, son of David. He's acknowledging you're other, you're different. You're not just another guy coming down the road. You can do anything you are able. And we have to come to a place where we are aware of our need, but we also acknowledge his power. Now, earlier in Mark's gospel, in the very first chapter, we uh, see another story where Jesus is coming kind of outside the city and he meets a leper there. Do you know this story? And lepers would have been ceremonially unclean. It would have been the most devastating social and physical disease that you could have in these times. And they were forced to live outside of the city. They had to walk around shouting all day long. Anytime someone approached them, unclean, 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 don't come near me because if you do, you might get what I have. And Jesus comes walking by this man and we see these things. We see this uh, humble awareness of our need. need. It says he drops on his knees. And then listen to what he says to Jesus. He says, if you are willing, you could make me clean. You see, what the leper needed was, he needed two things to be true of Jesus. He needed Jesus to be willing and he needed Jesus to be able. Because just to have one without the other didn't really help his physical ailment, right? In the hospital room, I was willing to help. I just wasn't able, right? We all know what that's like to be willing to help but not able, right? I'm willing to go to Augusta next month and play in the Masters. <laughs> I am very willing, if anybody hears this, I, I am very willing. I'll cancel anything I have. No, I'm willing, but I'm not able. And we also know people that are able, but they're not willing, right? When, you know, when you're, when you're in elementary school and you go to sell things in the neighborhood for your school, you're selling Girl Scout cookies or you're selling, we used to sell wrapping paper. I don't know why we always used to sell wrapping paper, but you go to the biggest house like in your zip code. They'd open the door and you're like, they're $4.99, could you buy one so that kids can read? They'd be like, no, sorry, we can't buy any. And I'm like, you're able, you definitely are able, you're just not willing. Or anybody been to the DMV lately? That may be the greatest example. You sit in that chair with a ticket number and you're talking to a person and in your mind you're going, you could help me. I know you could, you just don't want to. And this leper, listen to what he says when he falls on his knees in front of Jesus. He says, if you are willing, comma, you could make me clean. So the ability he was confident in. I have no doubt you could make me clean. What I'm going to ask you is, are you willing? 
What I'm going to ask you is, do you will this in my life? Is it in your will, Jesus, that I might be made clean? Now, I don't know about you, but if I could be honest, even as a pastor, there's a lot of times where I come to God in prayer and I have doubt about the second part. I I get in a place where I'm like, I'm not positive you're able to do this. And we have to be people. I don't want to be part of a church that thinks when they approach God, we don't know if you can. I want to know what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3 when he says, Now to him, comma, description of who Jesus is. Who is able? You could do anything. You can change anything. In one word, you caused everything to exist. Anything in my life, Jesus, I know you could change. So I want to approach your throne with confidence in your power that everything submits to you. Everything bows to you. You're sovereign and you reign supreme over everything. So when I pray, I'm not going to doubt post comma. I'm just going to ask pre comma. I know you could. I'm going to ask if you're willing. And you go, well, well why, why might he not be willing? This is where theology is so important because Jesus's primary goal is not our comfort. Jesus's primary goal is his glory on planet earth. And he might say, I know you want me to be willing. And yes, I am able, but I'm not willing because I see something good in it. Somebody that you work with is going to meet Jesus. So I'm not going to pull you out and put you over here because I want them to meet Jesus. I have a broader picture than you have. And my definition of good and your definition of good might be different. So when we approach the throne... What if we begin to pray with confidence that Jesus can change anything? That ought to be us. The leper says, if you're willing, I know you can heal me. We also have to understand this, that when Jesus says no, what he's saying is not yet. When, when you pray, if you have a physical illness, if if you have something that's causing pain in your life and you say, God, I know you could and I'm asking you to be willing. And if he says, hey, yes, I can, but I'm not willing. The answer is not no. The answer is not yet. How do you know that? Because I'm planted in this word. And when you read Revelation, you understand there is coming a day with a new heaven and a new earth and all pain and all tears will be wiped away and the old is gonna pass away and the new is gonna come. So I'd like you to fix this now. But even if you don't fix it now, I understand this is a vapor and in eternity, I'm not going to deal with this anymore. So do whatever you need to do to get glory in my life. This is the posture that I believe fertilizes the soil for breakthrough in our lives. So let's keep showing, let's keep knocking, keep showing up, keep asking, keep believing. One of the themes throughout Mark's gospel is persistent faith. You see it in so many of the miracles that Mark records. In Mark chapter 2, friends are desperately trying to get their friend to Jesus. And the crowd is so big that they can't find a way in. So it says, when they could not get to Jesus, they went up on the roof, dug up the roof, and lowered him down. Persistent faith. Mark chapter 5, the woman with the blood disease stretches out his hand to touch the hem of his garment. And she says, if I could just touch the edge, just the hem, just one, if I could just get my finger on there. You see Jairus' persistent faith when his daughter's sick, saying, Jesus, my daughter's dying, and I know that you could heal her. 
So persistent faith ought to mark us as believers. When you pray, if the answer right now is not yet, show up tomorrow and pray again. Keep knocking. Keep asking. Keep seeking God. Keep believing, God, you could change this. And so I'm going to show up again today and ask you to. Will you repair my marriage, God? I need a breakthrough in my marriage. I know that you can, I know that you can, can put it back together. I know that you have the power to do that, but I'm asking you, God, are you willing? Can you please come? I'm going to ask you again today, and I'm going to ask you again tomorrow, and I'm going to ask you again the next day. We have to be people of persistent faith. I'm convinced that for many of us, we take no way too easy. We take one no on one day and we never ask again. And when you read the story of scripture, you do not see that kind of faith on display in the New Testament. You see the kind of faith that goes no today. Okay, great. I'll be back tomorrow and I'm gonna believe tomorrow that you still could heal it. And you say no tomorrow, I'm gonna be back the next day. And even if you don't heal it, I'm not gonna abandon you and go a different direction. I'm still gonna believe that you're God. My willingness to follow you is not dependent on your willingness to heal what I need healed, but I'm gonna keep showing up believing that you can. We have to be people of persistent faith. So you go, well, what happened? happens if I doubt that he can? Here's what I want you to know. Do you wrestle with doubt? Anybody in this room? Anybody at 515? You ever have a moment where you think, I don't know that God can do that? Good. It means you're human. If you don't have any doubt in your life, then maybe we need to go back to thou shalt not lie. We all have doubt in our lives because we're human. God isn't like us. He's not a little bit better than us. He's different than us. And it's, his ways are unsearchable. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. So there's gonna be times when you doubt. But listen to what this example in Mark chapter nine says. There's a father whose boy is sick. And he says, if you can, Jesus, you can heal him. And Jesus says, if I can, I can do anything for those who believe. And the father says back to him, I do believe but help me in my unbelief. And the enemy has used unbelief to drive us away from the throne of God. And I believe it's meant to drive it to us. And it's meant to put us back on our knees and repeat these same steps. I have a humble awareness that my doubt is taking over my life. But I'm going to acknowledge your power and ask for you to reorient that. And this little man's boy was healed because he didn't have any doubt. No, because he brought his doubt to Jesus. And he said, help me overcome this. Don't let me sit on the sidelines my whole life because I feel guilty that I have doubt. Let it fuel me back to you again. That's what we need to be like. Persistent faith. You know, when this blind man, Bartimaeus, when Jesus is coming by, he speaks up and he shouts. And what does everybody else do? They say, hey, you back there, shut up. You're not important enough. There, there's a lot of things he's got to do here. He's definitely not going to tend to you. not going to listen to you, so just pipe down back there, beggar. Be careful who you allow to shape your view of what's important to God. Be careful who you allow to tell you what you can and can't talk to God about. God cares about what you care about. Why? Because God cares about you. I care about what my two and a half year old daughter cares about. I care about all the shows. I care about how the tea party needs to be set up. I'm six foot two. I sit at a chair this high. Why? Because I love this little girl. She's my child. And I care about what she cares about. 
So these, these people are saying, hey, 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 he doesn't, he doesn't have time to deal with someone like you. And Jesus says, that guy back there, call, go call him. And he makes the people, which is fascinating, he makes the people that were saying, shut up, stop talking. This is not your moment. And then they go back to Jesus and Jesus goes, go get him. They go, yeah, okay, great. I'll go right back to get him. Same guys. Is that not amazing? Persistent faith. If you stop praying, start again. If you believe they can't change, start again. If you think your relationship's never gonna be repaired because you prayed for a year and a half and it didn't get repaired, pray another year and a half and believe that Jesus can do what he said he would do. And then lastly, and maybe most importantly, what we see is this. We have to have a greater commitment to God getting glory from our lives than to us getting breakthrough in our lives. We have to be more committed to God getting glory from our lives than we are to us getting breakthrough in our lives. We will not withhold worship from God while we await breakthrough from God. My worship has nothing to do with you answering this request. My worship has nothing to do with what you can do. My worship has to do with who you are. You are God alone. There is no one like you, Jesus. So I will worship whether you say yes to me or whether you say no to me. If you say no to me, I'm still going to say yes to you. We have to have that kind of a heart posture. You go, where do you see that in this text? Right here. The blind, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. Same exact question he asked James and John in the passage before. Interestingly enough, they wanted to be powerful and to have important seats and they didn't get their request answered. But this man says, Rabbani. Now there's a difference here. Some translations just translate it rabbi. And that's not bad. But the real word here is rabbani. It's, it's more. It's rabbi on steroids. It's a strengthened form of rabbi. Rabbi can mean teacher, rabbani, master, lord, teacher. So before he asks him the question, I want to see, what does he say? Master, Lord. Isn't that amazing? That has to be us. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has made you well. God is not worthy of our worship because of his power to change our circumstances. He's worthy of our worship because he's God. That's why he's worthy of our worship. So Bartimaeus did not return after he got his vision to an improved version of his previous self. He didn't go, great, you healed me so that now I can go do what I always wanted to do if I could see, but I couldn't see, so I couldn't do it. No, what does he do? It says, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight, and what did he do? He followed Jesus along the road. He was more committed to God getting glory from his life than to him getting a physical breakthrough in his life. And that has to be us if we want to till the soil of our lives. Lastly, <laughs> and I'll close with this, I want you to see this. There's two miracles in this text. There's a physical miracle. Bartimaeus receives his sight. But how does he receive his sight? It's interesting when you read the miracles of Jesus, it often ends with this phrase. What? I have made you well. Is that what it says? No. What does it say? Your faith 
your faith has made you well. It's interesting, isn't it? What does that mean? What caused him to be healed? We always think it says or means, I healed you. But it often says your faith has made you well. Now the Hebrews writer defines faith as this. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. You see, without faith, the Hebrews writer writes that it is impossible to please God. So how do we get this faith? How did Bartimaeus get faith? He got it the same way you get it and the same way I get it. He got it as a free gift from Jesus. Jesus gives him faith. And then that faith, Jesus says, has made you well. So two miracles, physical sight, that's temporary, it'll last a few decades. Go organic, maybe, maybe more, but it's temporary. And then there's a greater miracle. And the greater miracle is never about a temporary solution. It's always about the eternal solution. Jesus gave this man physical sight, but he also gave Bartimaeus spiritual sight. And that miracle is available to everyone in this room today. You go, where, where, how is that possible? How is it available to me? Just real quick, and I gotta close. Look at the first four words of chapter 11, if you have your Bible. Powerful. First four words. As they approached Jerusalem. So Bartimaeus gets his sight, spiritual and physical. He gets up. He was along the road, sitting on the side of the road. He gets up and joins Jesus on the road. Where does that road go? It goes to Jerusalem. Why? What's going to happen in Jerusalem? Look back in chapter 10, verse 33, Jesus speaking. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priest and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. And then look at these words, three days later, he will rise. Bartimaeus got up and joined Jesus on a road. And that road spans 2000 years and meets you where you're standing right now. Why? Because Jesus in Jerusalem hung on a tree and took the sins of the world so that you might have the option to go from being spiritually blind to spiritually being able to see. Can he solve the temporary? Yes and let's petition him and ask him to do that. Let's have persistent faith. But even if he doesn't, let's understand he's already given us an eternal solution and his name is Jesus Christ. And because of his sacrifice on the cross, your miracle has a name and his name is Jesus Christ. And he's available today. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, and wherever you stream your podcasts. To experience other talks, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at passioncitychurch.com or download the Passion Movement app. And again, thanks for listening to the Passion City Church podcast.